Human beings have the most amazing ability to ignore a problem until they can't. And then they have an amazing ability to solve very hard things. And this is one of the things that gives me hope in our usage of open source and everything I see it. Hi, welcome to the Open at Intel podcast. I'm Katherine Druckmann, an open source evangelist here at Intel. I talked with Josh Bressers, VP of Security at Encore, fellow podcaster and OpenSSF volunteer, about why open source isn't broken and how to address the very human aspects of open source security in communities. I had a great time and I hope you will too. And as always, please join us again for more important open source conversations. You can find more from the team at open.intel at open.intel.com and at open.intel on Twitter. Hey, so I am here with Josh Bressers. Josh is with a company called Encore, and they do, uh, as my understanding is security wizardry. Do I have that roughly correct? That seems fine. Um, yeah. No, sure, I, yeah. <laughs> so our, our this is a fun podcast fame, here. Right. We, we, we call ourselves Next Generation SCA, Source Composition Analysis. And fundamentally, what that really means is like, you know, SBOM powered kind of vulnerability scanning and, and asset tracking in the software universe. We have two open source programs, SIFT and Gripe. SIFT generates SBOMs. Gripe will scan SBOMs for security vulnerabilities. It's all very exciting. And it, it's kind of one of those spaces right now that's very interesting. And so I absolutely love every day of it. Cool. Well, that, I mean, you make it sound great. So, and as we've discussed offline, uh, it, it's, it can be difficult to make security sound really cool and and, and fun, but I think you just I believe my exact fun. words were security is boring. Ah, oh, okay. Well, I wasn't going <laughs> to we'll throw you under the bus, the but <laughs> let's get that out of the way. But we, we're going to make it not boring today. So that's right. That's I did right. also, so thank you for that, uh, for that about your, the day job, but you also are a contributor to the open source security foundation. And I wanted to make sure we mentioned that. Can yep, you tell us right. what do you, what do you do over at the open SSF? So my biggest thing I'm doing right now is I am the co-chair with uh, a fine person named Kate Stewart of the, I think it's called a special interest group. I forget exactly. They've got all these weird classifications. For right. Right. And it's a basically SIG under a working group, right, under a, whatever, yeah. whatever, but it's a uh, bomb everywhere where the intention is trying to unlock the secrets to how we can make SBOM, I guess, more approachable for all of open source, because I mean, this kind of goes back to like my joke of security is boring mm -hmm. is let's say we go to an open source project and say, Hey, we would like you to make SBOMs. They will say, what is the benefit to me? That's and, fair. Like we got nothing. So <laughs> it, we're, Magic. We're, we're trying to understand what all that means. And additionally, we need to understand how to bring like SBOM to an open source project. Cause you can't just go to a project and say, Hey, you should do SBOMs. They're going to be like, I don't know what that means. So we are basically trying to understand like, what does that look like? How do you go to an, an open source project and say, we're going to help you do this thing. And it's a lot of work, but it's also very, very interesting. And so it, it, it's a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Kate Stewart, I, I should mention was a guest on one of our earlier podcast episodes. I will yep. link to that in the description here, yep, but it's yep. all Kate's about awesome. S-bombs. Yeah. Kate is awesome. Very impressive. <laughs> yes. um, and doing really great work. You know, I've, I've lurked in 
the SBOM everywhere meetings a little bit here and there just to kind of get the lay of the land and see what kind of stuff y'all are working on. And, and it's great stuff and it's very useful yep. and very timely and all of those things. Um, I should also mention I'm actually involved in the OpenSSF. In, in the interest of full disclosure, I am currently co-chairing the marketing committee along with another wonderful person named Tracy Reagan. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the work the OpenSSF does. It's yeah. 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 There's a lot of important stuff that needs to happen in open source, which kind of leads me to the topics I wanted to talk to you about. Yes. Uh, because so uh, <laughs> I have listened to uh, some of your podcasts and we should mention that you do a podcast <laughs> called open source security because yes. what's the point of coming on a podcast if you can't plug your own podcast? Isn't that like half the whole thing? I mean, I so. guess. So I actually <laughs> have two podcasts. The, oh, the second right, yeah. isn't as well known. So I do the open source security podcast with a fellow named Kurt Seyfried. He and I have been doing this thing for, geez, it's been like six or seven years now, I think. And we're on episode, I think, 380 or so at wow, the time of us chatting. Wow, that is impressive. Yeah, it's like, it, I love it, though. It's so much fun. And then I have another one I do that's called Hacker History. There's a small hacker conference in Wisconsin called CypherCon that the the person who runs it basically said, like, I want you to do a podcast with me. And after much thought and, and trepidation, I said, I want to do a podcast called Hacker History. I want to basically bring on old people and just say, tell me your hacker story. That's literally the only question I ask. And it was funny because he goes, oh, I own the domain hackerhistory.com. That'll work. And I was like, holy That's cow. Awesome. Score. Yeah, it was amazing. So, but I, I love it. It's, it's a ton of fun. And, and if anyone listening is interested in being a guest, like I asked, everyone has an amazing story to tell and I want them all. Okay. Well, you know, I, I think, yeah, I need to get on, on that. I, I can hook you up with quite a few yes. stories. Um, I, so, okay, I, I really enjoy, I actually, okay, I admit I haven't listened to Hacker History yet, but it's on my list. It's on my list. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm going to listen to it. But I, I have listened to many episodes of the security one, and you do actually make security pretty fun, I have to admit. <laughs> and I, t I, when I've listened to it, I tend to listen to it while I'm cooking. I don't know what that means, but it's a great cooking podcast. What awesome. I don't know why, but it, it works for me that way. That's great. Yeah, and and I remember a while back, you had an interesting conversation about securing the software supply chain, which is something we all love to talk about right now because it is important. <laughs> That's this right. conversation, That's right. anyway, the conversation. Maybe the the terminology is uh, something to discuss, but something that you said and many other others have said, and I agree with, is that what you know what is open source, but people. Open source, really. I mean, it's a it is software, but it's also an ideology and it's community-based development and it's all of these things. And at the end of the day, open source is people and human problems and communication yeah. and all of these things. So when we talk about fixing the open source software supply chain, what do we mean by that? And what I really mean is what does it mean to you? <laughs> okay. There's a lot to unwind in that. Statement. I know there's so, so much. I'm going to start by saying there is nothing wrong with the open source supply chain. Open source is working exactly as it is meant to work and exactly as it wants to work. And I think this is one of the just thorns in my side I have when we have this discussion around supply chain, because there are many, many people that will tell you all about all these things we need to do to fix open source. We don't need to fix open source. We need to fix how we use open source. And I think it sounds like maybe a nitpick in, in language usage, but I think it's very important because 
my, I think the best example and the best capturing of this concept is there was a gentleman, Thomas de Pierre, Thomas de Pierre, who wrote the I Am Not a Supplier blog post, which has gained a, a ton of notoriety. Mm, I've seen it. Yep. yep. Yeah. I, I, I need mean, a link, make sure to link to it, but yeah, I've definitely yes, read yes. that one. And he kind of just explains it. Like he gets these requests for S bombs and for vulnerability scans and for filling out security Vendor. questionnaires. <laughs> Vendor right. And, and he's yeah. like, I'm not your supplier. I'm making a thing for fun. And then I'm putting it out on the internet. Like I owe you nothing. And I think that's the key. I, I, the way I like to think about this, and I think the Atlantic council did a really nice job. They wrote a paper kind of describing how the open source universe works and they compare open source to like the the water, the water ecosystem in, in on the planet where water is a natural resource we use. And if you pollute it, you can't use it. And I think today we are polluting open source more than we're you know using it in a sustainable manner. And I think that's a really important concept. You don't blame water when something goes wrong with the water, <laughs> right? You blame yourself because you screwed it up. I like it. I like it. You know, that, that's interesting. So community and sustainability was a topic actually in our previous episode, which I hope people will check out. That was the title has something to do with Formula One and, and uh, I've not and it listened was with to George it yet, Castro and it was a lot of fun. But yeah, but sustainability was it was, what you know, a topic because that is I mean, that's critical because, again, uh, the open source software ecosystem is critical. I, I, I remember, I, I well, George is great, um, so I feel like I need to refer and just quote him directly. But as he said, I, I believe he said, if if something happened to the Linux kernel, there would be zombies the next day. Like, this is critical software we're talking about, right? A lot of, many, many open source projects, not just Linux. It is right. critical to the way that we live and operate. Absolutely. It literally runs the world at this point. I mean, yeah. the, the, the joke is just everyone is running open source, right? Whether you know yeah, it or everybody. not. Everything yeah. is running it. Basically, effectively everything. I mean, it's what, 90%? I don't know. It's in there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? For sure. For sure. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, given, you know, the, the stakes are very high, right? So, I think that's that's where we've gotten in the conversation. The stakes are so high that people are working very diligently to solve what people perceive as a problem. That's right. That's right. Well, so, look, we're people. Sure. Human beings have the most amazing ability to ignore a problem until they can't. And then they have an amazing ability to solve very hard things. And this is mm -hmm. one of the things that gives me hope in our usage of open source and everything I see. If you look at the history of nearly any type of safety on the planet, you know, automobile safety, train safety, worker safety, or pollution or any of these things, we let it get really bad. And it annoys me that we probably have to let it get bad. But I think when you look at the way open source works, right, you have all of these organizations using all of this code. And so how many people are going to say, yeah, we kind of screwed up the way we're doing this? Absolutely not. They're going to totally point the finger at someone else and be like, oh, the open source people, it's totally their fault that it works this way. I did nothing wrong. I just took it and used it. And so I think that's, that's kind of part of this story is no one is going to say, yeah, we screwed up, right? They're going to look for someone that they can point their finger at because none of us like to accept blame. It's just, it's human nature. So let's talk a little bit about your thoughts on, you know, who are the people 
producing open source because it because it varies tremendously, right? There are, there are a yes. huge number of very well funded projects with yep. a lot of corporate contributors, people who who are paid to work on open source projects every day. You've got Kubernetes and PyTorch and That's right. and um, I, I could you know Linux the Linux kernel and I could name many 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 others. Um, but then, of course, you have the the XKCD cartoon projects too, and it's not just that one, right? It's several <laughs> very okay. important critical projects that. So that I take issue with that comic. I do too. Because but go ahead. in the comic, they have one little piece of the the stack, and it says, you know, the open source project maintained by someone in like Nebraska. I think they said mm -hmm. it's not that; it's a stack, ex like like kilometers into the air of single maintainer projects that are holding up our enterprise software. It's not one thing. And so it's many, I, many, yeah, sure. It's, many it's, it's all of it. And I think it is part of what makes open source amazing. And what could also make it terrifying is when you realize how many bus accidents away from oh, significant problems we have in our yes. entire software ecosystem. That is true. There are some very critical projects that are supported by a couple people in, yeah. right, in Nebraska. But and then the other, and part of what I take issue actually is kind of weirder, but I worry that that perpetuates the idea that open source is the, the stuff of hobbyists, which I think we were kind of hinting at right now, but it's not necessarily because again, it's much more complicated and there's a ton of a very well-funded open source. There are very yes. smart and well-funded people, you know, solving these problems, solving software and engineering problems, solving security problems, all those things. And I worry that it perpetuates the conversation that I'm sure you and I both had 15, 20 years ago about the legitimacy of open source. Um, you know, I, I remember I was, and I want to say it was around 2010, I was talking to somebody about an open source project and they were talking about um, pitching to non-open source people, let's say, and, and having to prove that it was safe to use open source and all of these things. And I thought, well, you know, surely we're past that conversation today. And I think to an extent we are, <laughs> however, <No. laughs> but we're not. <laughs> I'm kidding myself. So, so yeah, so, so I think, you know, the conversation about who, who are these people making open source is I think really important because there, there are lots of different types of people. And yes, I, I don't know, it, what, what do you, yes. what are your thoughts on that? I, I okay. keep talking a lot. So I want to start by saying there is, I'm, I'm aware of at least one report in the works right now that is looking to point out an enormous amount of open sources done by volunteers and volunteers are bad and dangerous and scary. And it's not. This is just how right. open source works. And it's part of what gives open source its power. And just because someone is a volunteer doesn't make their code less desirable or less good than someone who might be paid to do this. Because if you look at basically everything we're running today, a significant amount of it either started out as volunteers or is literally maintained by volunteers who are doing all the heavy lifting. And that's not a, it's not bad. It's just, it is what it is. It's kind of like if you went into a forest and you were like, well, there's only pine trees here. That's bad. Well, is it? I mean, it, it is what it is. You're not going to say like, there's something wrong with that. You're going to figure out what you need and understand what that means. So from the perspective of like, who is building open source, open source is built by just a cornucopia of people right? Everything from volunteers to literally kids in their basement doing stuff on after school. You have people like, I've been doing this for 
cripes like 30 years at this point, I think. I mean, it's been forever. <laughs> and it's all okay and it's all amazing. And I think the key to it all isn't to think of, can I trust the open source? Can I trust the people working on this? Are the people working on this good? Are the people working on this smart? Think of it more like a natural resource, right? You're going to the forest. You're going to the river. You're getting a thing you need. And if you don't take care of it, it's going to be gone someday. And I think this also harkens back to a lot of these open source developers, especially small ones that are really getting fed up listening to people talk about how open source is broken and the way they do things is wrong and they need to be, you know, filling out questionnaires and proving their security and proving they're doing, you know, they're signing everything and they've got code reviews and all this stuff. Open source is what it is. It's up to us to look at what it is and then decide how to use it best for ourselves. Okay. So I'll put this question to you. So since you, you say, people say, you know, kind of claim that open source is broken, which I think both of us agree that it is not open source, it's broken. That's right. Um, but if it's not open source that's broken, what is broken? <laughs> is anything broken? Kind of. Maybe. I mean, I would argue fundamentally we have the, the sec security is what I'm going to come back to on this one, because I think in most of these conversations, you end up with security being the driving discussion points. I think we have the security, the market demands. And what I mean by that is there's always these people who are saying, oh, we need better security. We need to improve our the way we're building our software. We need you know, better build systems. We have to sign everything. We have to do all these things. But at the end of the day, who's going to pay for this stuff? And the answer is probably not very many people. And so I think what we have today is what fundamentally the market demands, right? And so when we kind of think about what's broken in the open source universe, you could probably argue nothing because we're using all of this open source. We're getting massive benefits and things mostly seem to be working. I think the concern people have now is they're they're making demands of certain open source projects <laughs> and people are getting angry and so i think some of these especially large companies are are becoming concerned that if we keep yelling at these developers they're going to quit and then what are we going to do so that is my suspicion i don't have any evidence of this so i'm definitely kind of winging this explanation but that is what i see okay so again if you know if it open source isn't broken but the supply chain, so this is something else that we, we've talked about uh, really offline, but um, if the software supply chain at the end of the day is oh, just open source, because again, open source is everywhere. Um, it's pretty right. ubiquitous at this point. Yep, It's everywhere, man. So we're really talking about people, right? So if there is yep. a problem, it's... <laughs> It's people. It's our our fault, right? It's it's the, it's the people, you know, ha having been a an open source project maintainer and developer and contributor and all. That, well, I guess it's my fault. That's um, right. <laughs> That's right. You heard it here, everyone. It's all. <laughs> I admit fault. it. I own. I own it all. It's all in me. But so so we're talking about human problems, right? We're talking about yeah. human thing, human yeah. stuff, which is the hard part, right? To an extent, you know, engineering might be the easy part. Yeah, except for naming things, which is never easy, but that's a whole other conversation. But so, so is it? It's so it's human stuff. So is it? Is it lack of communication? Is it? Um, is it conflicting interests? Right. We talked about there is a lot of well-funded and less well-funded stuff. So you know, if it's well-funded by a, a corporate 
interest, then, you know, obviously there, there might be competing agendas, right. Or competing emphasis on, you know, on what, what to focus on or, or, or whatnot. So, but what is it, you know, what are these human things? What are you seeing? I think for a lot of people, at least a lot of the open source maintainers and developers I talk to, a significant amount of this comes down to cost. And by cost, I mean their ability to feed their family. Mm. And there's actually a group out of Germany right now called the Sovereign Tech Fund that is doing some really interesting work on kind of trying to better understand how we should be funding open source, where they have a, a, a I don't know, it, 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 the signups end sometime in early July but they're basically saying, like, here are some things we're interested in. And it's things like working on tooling, driving some of the open source, like build tools and things like that, working on documentation, working on kind of some of that more infrastructure stuff that we like to ignore and not do. And they're putting like real money on the table, like, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars for groups to go and seek funding so they can do this stuff. Because, I mean, one of the things you get is obviously if you have an open source project that's a person who does it for fun on the weekends and it their their project might need significant updating or something like how, how do you justify that right i could either go play with my kids or i could work on this bug that google filed in my project like i'm going to play with my kids you know <laughs> i'm not i'm not going to do the work of the the one of the biggest companies on the planet like they can send someone to do that you know and so you're you're right though like the people aspect of this i think makes it very interesting, but also very difficult because when you deal with people, there's never like one solution. One of my favorite examples is if you look at the business book section at a bookstore, if any of those books worked, we wouldn't need a business section at the bookstore, right? <laughs> and so there's like a million ideas, but the problem is every person is different. And so there's no like one answer to solve no. this. Every open source project is different. Some projects might need help. Some might need money. Some might just need to be left alone and not bothered. Like it, they're all completely different. And that's what makes this so freaking hard to solve. Well, that's, hey, I mean, that's half the battle is, is just kind of identifying the problems, right? Yeah. And, and owning how difficult well, it is. Although open source isn't the problem. Just no. make sure. Let's no, point no, that no. out. <laughs> no, the open source is fine. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, open source, well whatever that some is. open sources. I mean, and look, there there are projects that need help. I mean, I'm not going to say there aren't, right? There's, um, but again, we have a multitude of, of problems, right? It could be staffing problems. There are projects where they literally don't have anyone in charge of them anymore. One of my favorite things to do is to look at the dependencies, something I have, like, like when was the last update to the GitHub repo for something I'm using? And there's things that are like two years since the last update, you know, five years since the last update. And it's like, what is going on here? There's probably something wrong sure. with this project. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Right. And and what is it? Is no one in charge of it anymore? Like, did the person literally die? That's happened in, in instances. You know, there's yeah. so many things and it's so hard to understand what's going on. And if you have, say, a, a node project that has 2000 dependencies, you can't track all that stuff. You know, you can't no. reach out to every maintainer. No, but again, the beauty with open source is that, you know, they, again, it's not a problem with the open source methodology or ideology or anything else. And there is a beauty in that if there is something that you find value in and you want to use, you you can, you just can't expect somebody else who is no longer there to maintain it for you. That's right. Um, That's right. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's funny. We're ha I feel like I come back to this, this, 
hearing in my head um, people saying, well, you know, the problem with open source is dot, dot, dot. Um, and I always think in my head, well, you know, the problem with humans is That's right. exactly. we have opinions. And right. uh, so, yeah, you know, it, again, it all goes back to what is open source? Open source is people. It's, it's people and, and yeah. cultures and, well, know, and, and society it depends from you the ask. way that we interact. According to the OSI, open source is the list of open source licenses they maintain. And only oh, software that... that falls under those licenses counts yes. as open source. Right. But I agree with you. I think it's community and people fundamentally at the yeah, end of the day. Yeah, it's people. Yeah. And, you know, the, without the communities and the people to enforce the licenses, or to use the licenses. Um, so, yeah, going, getting back on track. So, <laughs> given that, again, open source is not broken, which I think we need to reiterate many times. If yep. we say it enough, people will believe it. Hopefully. Hopefully. How, how would you like to see the conversation change, uh, particularly around security? You know, we've talked about how security is kind of the driving force in a lot of these alarms, let's say. But, but so how, how would you change the conversation? So I, I think about this a lot, actually. And this is something, especially in the day job, I discuss internally because obviously Anchor has a security angle to our products where we scan for security vulnerabilities. And there is this, I guess fallback almost. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but there's like, it feels easy to beat the security drum in the context of all of the supply chain, everything that it mm-hmm. is difficult sometimes to say why you should care about your supply chain. Oh, you should care because of security. And then once we start talking about security, fear is almost always the primary topic that everyone tries to peddle. And they're saying, oh, do you know what open source you have? Like, do you know who's maintaining your open source? Do you know how many vulnerabilities your open source has? And I think that fear-based dynamic, first of all, it never works. If you look at the attempts over the, the history of human beings to use fear to motivate people, it has worked exactly zero times. Mm. I mean, think about um, my, my favorite was always the commercials on TV where it's like, oh, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? When you were kids? <laughs> and it's like, yes, <laughs> no, they do. like if they don't, no. <laughs> this commercial isn't going to make a difference, you know, and I think. That is one of the aspects that that drives me a little bonkers and is where we need to think about how we change these conversations because peddling fear is never going to work. So we have to talk about what is the context we can use when discussing something like open source and, and the health and sustainability and maintainability of the open source ecosystem. And what do we do about that? And that's where I'm truly appreciative of things like the Sovereign Tech Fund There's like the Internet Security Research Group, the ISRG. They do the Let's Encrypt. They're doing some funding on how to rewrite important open source tools in Rust so you get the memory safety there. There's some efforts happening inside the U.S. government where you have groups trying to understand like what's going on in open source. CISA has a special open source mandate they have now to better understand what's happening Mm -hmm. in this space. And so I think fundamentally... It's less about like, let's try to scare, you know, people straight as it is. We need to understand like how this all fits together and what we're going to do about it moving forward. And I think that's vastly more important because if you want to scare people, think about what would happen if open source went away. That's scary. Zombies. I mean, I think we we covered that. Right, right. Zombies. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Exactly right. (laughs) You want apocalypse? Like, yeah, take away Linux. But. I think that is 
that is the conversation is how do we keep this looking good? How do we keep it functional? And I think part of the answer is going to be governments. Part of the answer is going to be corporations. I mean, if you look at the environment, right, let's just pick on the environment. When, when I was a kid, I was, I was born in, in the late seventies, like there's a river near my house. You couldn't swim in because it was super polluted and disgusting and it stunk and there were no fish in it. Like it was just awful. And now it's looking pretty good. I mean, there's a couple hundred years of cleanup left to go, I think, but <laughs> you know, it's kind of what, it's a similar concept where when we want to start talking about this and start doing the right thing. I think that's when things change. And part of the solution to like cleaning up a river isn't the government doing all the work. It's not industry doing all the work. It's everyone coming together, right? You need the will of the people to help drive the government to work with industry to see this stuff happen. And I think we're in a similar position of open source is we need to see the open source community working with the governments, working with the corporations for like the good of everybody. And this, is, this isn't one of those like zero-sum games where, oh, the corporations are going to win or, oh, the open source community wins. We all win or we all lose. Like, that's, that's it. There's no other option here. I, I like the, your solidarity message there, actually. I think it's... Um, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, agree, I agree that fear is not the best motivator. I think... I mean, except for me. <laughs> 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 I mean, you know... Um, I think I mentioned earlier that I, I, I used to, I used to be, I, not so much now, but I used to be a, you know, an open source contributor, contributing code and, and, and releasing software and all of those things. And I have to admit, though, that um, what drew me to the security field and to get more and more involved and learn more and more uh, was fear, <laughs> a little bit of insecurity that, you know, that I would be the one who would bring down, bring about the apocalypse and the zombies because I might have made a security uh, mistake. So I, uh, maybe on a, you know, your mileage may vary, but on an individual basis, fear can be a motivator, but it's not, it's not what I would lead with. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. That's fair. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, there's always, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing I get. Maybe that's, that's why I am so sensitive to the conversation about, about people, about, about the supply chain, you know, who are we talking about? We're, we're, we're talking about developers and, you know, I, there's a, a little bit of me that's like, ah, they're pointing at me. <laughs> you know what I mean? In this conversation, it's almost a little bit adversarial in that's some right. cases. That's right. Not always, but, but it, it can be. So I, I, guess, I guess where I'm going is that I would like this conversation to be a good reminder that at the end of the day, we're talking about humans and, um, you know, it's important to take that into consideration in yep. whatever way we can. That's right. I, I kind of want to revisit or go back to your ideas about open source as a natural resource, because you, you keep, you keep kind of going back and, and plucking that thread and talking about the water analogy, which I like. In fact, actually we have an article somewhere on open.intel about just that comparing open source to water, because it kind of is that it's nice. that ubiquitous. It's that important. It's yeah. Yeah. But, but, in what ways are we getting that conversation wrong? I mean, I, I guess that that's where I'm going. Like, so given that you see it in some ways as a natural resource, how does embracing that improve our security posture? How does that improve the conversation about how to um, maintain a sustainable ecosystem? I mean, I don't have all the answers to that. I have done, I will say I'm a 
a an armchair historian when it comes to things like safety and environmental protections because mm-hmm. I find the overlap between a lot of what I see happening in security and what has happened in the past, there's unique parallels in many instances. One of my favorite parallels actually is there is a presentation by a person named Carol Nichols who I had on my the Open Source Security Podcast some time ago. She wrote the Rust book, actually, which is where okay. Carol and I kind of cross paths. And she gave a presentation talking about railroad safety. And not every I, I didn't know this till I spoke with her. But back in the day, when you wanted to stop a train, you know those wheels they had on all the train cars? Those were brakes. And they literally had people running around the top of the trains to the wheels and turning the wheels to stop the train. And you can imagine the number of accidents caused by this was horrific because you literally had people running around on a train to stop it. And then eventually the government said, you need to put air brakes on these freaking trains so people stop, you know, falling off the trains and dying. And the railroads, of course, were like, oh, my goodness, we can't possibly do this. And it took 80 years from the time, basically, this this air brake was invented until it became a common thing. Right. 80 years. Think about that. How old is tech? 50 ish, maybe 60 and yeah, we really haven't even young. had conversations about security for the last maybe 10 or 20 years in, in honest and meaningful ways. And so the first thing I think is just kind of tempering expectations that none of this is going to change quickly. If you look at the history of pollution and like the EPA, it took literally rivers lighting on fire before <laughs> anyone started doing anything about it. And even then, it still took decades for us to measure true progress in this space. And so I think when we talk about things like how we deal with open source, you know, thinking about it from the in the context of like a natural resource, we have to obviously, first of all, just understand what things look like. And I think this is where the governments are starting to do some work, where they're giving honest research into this. The Atlantic Council's paper is another one where they like they spent some real time and they did some really good research into what open source looks like. I think if you look at some of the I guess, behaviors and writings we've seen over the last probably five to 10 years, there was almost a, a, an attempt to simplify open source to a degree that was kind of silly where it's like, oh, it's open source is a thing. And, you know, in in some cases it was trying to scare us where they're saying, oh, open source (laughs) is going to steal your software and you have to give your source (laughs) code to to Linus Torvalds. He's going to publish it on the internet. And thank goodness that's gone. But now I think we're seeing this, this, attitude of, okay, so everyone's using open source, but it's, it's dangerous and bad. And, and of course the only solution is to pay me for whatever I'm doing. That'll, that'll help you fix that. And I mean, even I'll, I'll pick on the open SSF a little bit about this. I think the open SSF gets some of this wrong because there's definite, there's a definite attitude there of, we need to fix open source in some of those working groups. Whereas I would, I still maintain, like, we don't need to fix it. We just need to better understand how we work with it. And so like, I think that's the key, right? You don't, you don't go to the forest and say, forest, I need you to do this stuff for me. You go there. If you cut down all the trees, the forest is gone and you're screwed, right? You're not going back for a long time. But if you have sustainable lumber harvesting practices, for example, now you can go back to the forest every couple of years and get what you need. And I think open source is part of that story is we need to understand what like sustainable open source truly looks like. It is not working people to death. It it, it's obviously making it so that people building this software can do so in a sustainable manner, support their families, live their lives, and contribute back to whoever needs the thing they're doing. 
And it is going to be, I think, a fascinating next probably five to 10 years in this space because we don't have very many answers today. And I am excited to see where this all goes. It is going to be a wild ride for sure. I, yeah, I, 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 I will definitely agree with that. I, uh, I want to actually point out, I really appreciate your kind of interdisciplinary perspective here. I think it's important to look to other fields. Like if you, if you look to environmentalism, right? Yeah. Look to, yeah. you know, just like you would with anything else. If you want to solve the hard problems, you have to broaden your perspective. Right. I mean, look, as a good tech person, I'm extremely lazy. So if I can find someone else's hard work <laughs> right. and use it, I'm yeah, all no, in. I agree. I used to say, you know, back when I was involved in web development type stuff, you know, if you want to talk about usability and, and, you know, go look at ergonomic studies from the 1930s in German kitchens, you know, and like bro broaden your mind a little bit, you know, and think about I, the way that people interact with their environment. I've um, never, so I've, see, this is new. This is new to me. I can't okay, wait to I will, I'll now. send you some links. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. That sounds Yeah, no, exciting. I mean, like the, the think of the, yeah, the, there were a lot of studies done to determine how, again, how people interact with their spaces and how to make a more efficient environment, especially as kitchens became more modernized. Anyway, sure. I, the, my oh. design history background, I'm a nerd. Um, that's, that's awesome. But see, that's yeah, so cool. Yeah. But now, now you actually, this is a really good point. You bring this up. Like, I think part of the power of open source is it's this enormous diverse community. So you mm -hmm. get, you know, weird things like people talking about kitchen design, which is not even mm -hmm. something I'd ever thought of, but it's like, it, I, I totally see it. It, I love it. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, this is how you solve the, the hard problems. This is how, this is again. And I think as, as we uh, meander towards our conclusion here, you know, one of the things that I, since I have you here, uh, one of the things I would love to see, and you've mentioned the OpenSSF and you mentioned that at the beginning, I would love to see more people get involved in, 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 in from from varied perspectives, from yeah. varied backgrounds, yep. because again, you cannot solve the hard problems without bringing different perspectives to the table. You've got to do that. For sure. So to that end, I, that's, that's actually my last question for you. How would you suggest people get more involved in, let's say, whatever, whatever may or may not be broken, whatever problems may need to be fixed. <laughs> if you want to get involved in working toward the solution, what's your advice? So look, you have to find something that, that motivates you and you have passion, right? I'm this bizarre security weirdo, and I've loved security for as long as I can remember. I, use, I remember when I was very young, my, my dreams when I went to college was I want to do work in security or I want to work at Red Hat. And I ended up working at Red Hat doing security, which was very amusing for me a long time ago. And obviously, I've, I've, I've since moved on, but it was it's a marvelous place. But I think the key to all of this, and this is true of open source, like this is what how why people do it, is they found something they love to do. They're working on problems they truly enjoy and the, the problem gives them that motivation they need. And this is true of anyone. Like if you're interested in, in open source security, there's groups like the OpenSSF you can go and work with. The OpenSSF is open. Anyone can can join working groups and help solve problems. It's a marvelous group. I know I kind of gave them a hard time a little while ago, but it, it truly is a lovely group of people that that they want to help deal with some of these struggles open source has. But there are countless groups doing 
all kinds of amazing work, right? You have everything from open source projects working on this stuff. You have foundations working on various open source everything, right? You you have everything from security. You have groups working on the licensing. You have groups working on sustainability. There's so many foundations out there. You can't even keep track of them all. And so, I mean, anyone listening and, and you're saying, oh, I'd like to get involved. I want, I want to help make the future of open source better. Like you have to figure out what it is that drives you and makes you want to do it. Because at the same time, you have to remember there are going to be times like this stuff gets old and you're going to want to quit. But if it's something you truly love, you will get through that rough patch and then you can keep doing the good work that, that you've wanted to be, to be doing fundamentally, right? The thing that gives you purpose and it, it's amazing and powerful. And it's why I love open source because open source is so full of purpose. It is amazing. I, I agree. I love it. Thank you so much for that. So I think in conclusion, be an open source environmentalist, protect, oh, protect our that. open source ecosystem. I'm stealing ecosystem. that. I'm, oh, okay. open source environmentalist. That's so good. Yes. Let's care, care for our ecosystem, just like we should care for our planet. Yeah. Right. Uh, open source is people like Soylent Green. Is that, how, is that what that, anyway. <laughs> don't <laughs> open don't eat your people. open source. <laughs> don't, eat your, don't cannibalize your open source. Um, open source is people and people are. Let, let's say we're inherently good, right? And we want to, we want to do great things. Um, I, I so, think, yeah. yes, I agree with that. I think people fundamentally want to do the right thing. And, and I don't, open source is no different, right? It, it's the people using it, the people building it. Everyone truly at the end of the day wants the, the one thing that's the best. I, I, I do believe that for sure. Yeah. So in final conclusion, uh, where can people find you if they want to continue this conversation? Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> So the podcasts. I, I, I do have my podcast. My podcast is opensourcesecuritypodcast.com. And you know, if you go to opensourcesecuritypodcast.com, there is a link somewhere on there to contact info for me. And it's got uh, uh, buttons to all the, all the things. But that and I'm, I'm prolific on Mastodon. I absolutely love Mastodon. There's a ton of Same. amazing security people there. And it is, it is my, my, the place I love to be, we'll say. Okay. What is your handle on Mastodon? So I'm on infosec.exchange. And I'm Josh Bressers at, in, what is it? I forget how to Mastodon handles like, Info I think it's at Josh exchange. Bressers at infosec.exchange yes, is what it ends right. up being. But yeah, right. a, a fellow named Jerry Bell runs it. Jerry's a lovely, lovely person. He was on my podcast as well at one point. And, and so I'm, I'm pleased to use his infrastructure and to additionally help pay for it all because. Excellent. That is the right answer. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Uh, well, thank you so much. Uh, I, you know, I, I think I've certainly gotten a lot out of this conversation, and I think it, this has been listening a, a, have too. This has been a treat. Thank you, Catherine. I, I truly yeah, appreciate sure. it. Yeah, sure thing.